Um, Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here at the Fall Creek Church again. Um, it's a beautiful Sabbath day, Lord, where um, you set aside this time um, from the very beginning um, for man to be joined with you to explore what our relationship looks like together. And so I want to do that again today. And I just pray that you pour your spirit out on me, Lord, that um, the wonderful things that you've been showing me, you will be able to use me to communicate to others, and that regardless of what I say, that all of your sons and daughters here today would walk away knowing that you spoke to them. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my name is Joseph Washburn. Some of you know me. I come on the, the Wednesday nights, and you might have seen me around light bears. I'm one of the interns there. You might have seen me on the farm working at Laurelwood. I kind of do that occasionally as well. Got a lot of hats. Um, and one of them is to preach, <laughs> which is something I really enjoy. It's a really weird dynamic because I don't do really well in small groups, but I can do good talking to large groups or like one-on-one. I don't know how that worked out, but it just did. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of sad that my wife and four kids couldn't be here today. Um, we couldn't deconflict scheduling um, stuff. Um, she had obligations at Storyline, and so she wasn't able to come. Um, but thankfully, I guess Gabriel's recording today, so that's wonderful. She'll get to hear that. Um, and when James asked me if I'd like to preach today, we were just talking schedules and dates, and the idea that today was right before Father's Day didn't occur to me. Because at the time, if it had, I probably would have said no. There's just something about, like, feeling forced to preach about a topic, you know, because everyone seems to have to do that. Like, if it's Mother's Day, oh, you have to preach a Mother's Day sermon. Or if it's Father's Day, you've got to do something. And my wife asked me not that long ago, she says, so what are you preaching about? Um, and I said, well, you know, I had this message in mind that I'd given before. And she's like, oh, that's good. She said, but you're not, it's Father's Day weekend. You're not going to do a Father's Day message? And I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe I should. And then I realized um, that... Fred has actually let me borrow this book called Who is the Greatest, um, written by A.W. Spaulding. And I was just reading through that, and I think it's the third chapter, or the fourth maybe. It's entitled, um, We Are Not Orphans. And I, I was just reading through that, and so it was just right there on my mind. And I was like, wait a second, that's actually what I want to talk about. I do want to talk about Father's Day. I do want to talk about fathers, but not just any father, our Heavenly Father. Um, and so that's what I'd like to explore today is some beautiful things that God has really shown me about how I can better relate with him as my father and how it has enabled me to be a better father and how it's enabled me to connect better with my father. And it's just amazing. This idea of who God is as my father can either be an anchor for me or it can be an altar it can be that anchor, not like the one in the song that we just sang that holds us fast, close to God, but it can be the anchor that holds us in the past. Or it could be the altar at which we lay our lives and offer them as a sacrifice to God. And I say that because growing up with the father that I had, I loved the man very, very much. And he did better than his dad, but he, he left a lot to be desired in what a father was. And... We've, we've reconciled on this. We talk about it. I was just talking with him yesterday, just speaking life into him, and we're both crying on the phone. It's just beautiful now that we're at this point in our lives where we can talk like that to one another because we love each other. But, you know, the idea of what a father was to me was an anchor that held me back in the past for a really long time because it was not a good picture. And when the God of the Bible was spoken of as a father, 
I rejected that because the father image that I had seen in my own father and in the fathers around me was not one worth following or being obedient to. However, the idea that I have in my mind about God as a father now is much different. It's much, much different, um, largely due to the fact that I'm different, my father's different here on earth, and I have just a better understanding of what scripture actually says about who God is. And I haven't let my human relationships destroy that. Um, Human relationships are supposed to help bolster the image of God. We're created in his image to reflect that, right? But we do a poor job of it sometimes, and we tarnish that image. And sometimes it's that tarnished image that other people see and they reject, Um, as was the case for me. But now... I see God as a father that I never had and I always wanted and that I will always have. And that's, a, that's an image that I can go before and I can, that's an altar that I can go to and lay my life down before as a sacrifice and say, God, Father in heaven, I just offer myself to you in this capacity. In Luke 11, if you'll turn there with me, in the, in the first portion of this, I think that This is kind of where the disciples found themselves also. They found themselves, this is really peculiar, because here it says in verse 1, now it came to pass, this is from the New King James Version, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. This is a group of grown men who grew up in a religious system all their lives, do you really think that they did not know how to pray? They, they, they knew how to pray. But what they did not, there's a question behind the question. Just like when Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the garden, there's a question behind the question. And I think the real question here that the disciple was asking on behalf of all the other disciples is teach us how to relate to God the way you do. Teach us how to have the connection with God that you have. And the very first thing that Jesus says, well, not the very first thing. First he says, when you pray, say. <laughs> but the first thing he tells them to do, when he, he's trying to communicate to them, he understands their question behind the question. And that's why he starts this off with saying, when you pray, say, our Father. And the word father in this case is just uh, patir or something like that. It's like pater. It's like patir. I don't remember exactly the Greek pronunciation. But it's not like any of the sweet sounding names that you hear of like in ancient Hebrew. This is just means like a paternal figure, like a father, someone who raises you and guides you and instructs you. And one of my favorite books is actually one of my kids' um, books. It's called uh, Names of Our Father by Yvonne Riley. And... It's amazing. It actually goes through the Lord's Prayer. And for each portion of the Lord's Prayer, it ascribes a different name, like our Father, Abba, who art in heaven, Elohim. And it kind of explores a little bit more these ancient Hebrew words that were used to describe God as our Father and how they connect with um, the Lord's Prayer. And it's just really so fascinating, like, uh, you know, Kadesh and... Al Shaddai, the provider, and Rophay, the healer. Like, these are such sweet-sounding names that you just, like, you want to call God these things. You know? And I think they speak really, really 
loudly to me about the relational dynamic between them. It's not just that paternal father figure. It's so much more than that. But sometimes that's where we have to start because that's all we know. And so we become engrossed in this journey of knowing God better, knowing him by his other names. He becomes more to us than just that parental figure. Um, It's crazy. I actually had such a dysfunctional relationship with my parents that I just dubbed them parental unit F and parental unit M for male and female. It was just like, you know, and so many people do that with God. They're like, we calling him that absentee landlord. You know, he may be an entity out there, but if he is, he's sure not a dad. He's not a father, not like anybody I've ever known. And they don't want to know him. And we have a beautiful opportunity to get to know him and then share with others what we've learned. And that's where um, Matthew 18.3 comes in. We're going to kind of look at Matthew a little bit more also. Um, But I don't want to go crazy and go all over the place here. I heard it once said that um, pastors' sermons would be twice as good if they were half as long. And so I'm going to try and do that today, keep it kind of short. And so we can spend less time sermonizing with the word and more time harmonizing with the word. Um, And so Jesus, uh, so to give this a little bit more context, Matthew 18, verse 3 through 6 is something we're going to kind of look at a couple times here. But that Lord's Prayer is also found in Matthew, right? Matthew chapter 6. And so in this narrative, they're already aware of this idea of about dressing God as the father and as, fa- as a father figure. And here, the bickering, the disciples are. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In verse one. And, you know, here they are. They're, they're bickering about who is the greatest. And Jesus, uh, then Jesus called a little child to him, verse two, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, I say to you, Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And that is just powerful and profound. You know, um, Elder Harold had mentioned, asked that question earlier. Why is that important that we learn to become as little children? And I think Fred, had, he'd stated it quite well this morning, what the issue is in the Sabbath school lesson. He talked a lot about this identity issue, right? And I think God wants us to get so identified with him as our father and us as his children that we'd never part from that identity. And in fact, Jesus says in verse 3 of Matthew 18 here that identifying with God as our father and us as his children is a requirement to getting into heaven, and it's no small surprise, especially when we look at verses like John seventeen three that says, and this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's, it's, it's not so much about what you're doing, but who you are, right? You know, that process of becoming a child is not so much about the destination, but it's about the process. And so as we start to get to know who God is or begin that journey one of the first things and the most important thing that we learn about who God is is in 1 John 4, 8. And it says that God is love, right? And some of us here on earth, again, like the images our fathers have given us, the image of love in our lives is so distorted, we don't even know what that really means. And 
one of my, another uh, author that I really appreciate, C.S. Lewis, he's got this book called Four uh, Loves, and this was a quote from it. He says that Eros will have naked bodies, friendship, naked personalities. And Jesus even said at one point, I now call you friends. And I think that's where we're headed here, is this whole laying open. In Jesus, we see the personality of God the Father laid naked, laid open for us to examine and explore and appreciate. He's just laid bare before us. And we just get to to behold that. (laughs) And it changes our lives. But there's a couple of problems when I started really looking at this in this book, who is the greatest in this chapter, it, it said this profound thing in there that um, all those who think God is too big to be so small make themselves orphans. That means if you think God is too big to be your personal father, you have just orphaned yourself and excluded yourself from that heavenly relationship. God is not too big to be so small. I promise you. <laughs> I promise you. And so when I started looking at this, I was like, man, why? I tried to identify some obstacles and why I had not really accepted God as my father earlier on. And I came up with two main reasons. The first one was just the father issue. And in John 17, 3, you know, it says eternal life is knowing God, to have a knowledge of who he is, an intimate understanding. And I didn't have that. And it became an obstacle I took at face value what other people said or showed me, and it was just wrong. Sometimes it was right, but a lot of times it was just wrong. And then in Matthew um, 7, this was crazy. Later on in my spiritual experience, when I started having a little better understanding of who God was, and in verse 21, many of you are familiar with this passage, Jesus is saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And this is the kicker right here, verse 23 in Matthew 7. And uh, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And what I get from that, and I want to submit to you, is that the first thing that we need to know about God is that God wants to know us. And he wants to know us intensely and deeply and intimately. There's a difference between being and doing. God doesn't want us just out there doing for him. He wants us being for him, right? He wants us to lay ourselves bare to him and reciprocate that vulnerability that he's initiated towards us. It's about, really about knowing. James 2.19, this is a profound one, right? Because this is the difference. This is kind of what makes the difference. And so, again, this is a very familiar passage to many of you. James 2.19, and it says, You believe there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. And so there's a difference between just knowing God and then the way that you relate to him, right? Because the way that we think is a predictor of the way that we behave, The idea that these demons have in their mind of who God is leads them to rebellion, not to obedience and trust. And that's what we're talking about here with faith and works. It just boils down to confidence and trust, right? Faith and trust. It's it's obedience at its core. 
based off of an understanding of who God is that looks different than the one that those people who rebel have. It's a big difference. And so for me, what I really had to do was realize and come to the point, I had to, I had to give God the benefit of the doubt. I had to let him have an opportunity to fail in my life, which he didn't. I had to give him the opportunity to prove to me that I could have confidence in him and that I could trust him. And it was amazing. And he just keeps doing it over and over again so I can have more confidence and more trust. And so I can keep looking at my father and say, wow, you just keep getting bigger and bigger all the time. <laughs> How's that possible? How's that possible? I don't even know. Um, but like I said before, there's a different problem. I came up with two problems. First was my, my identity relationship between me and God. Me as his son, him as my father. And the other one was actually, because there's the, the vertical and then there's the horizontal plane. And I realized, man, my other really big hiccup here and hold up is seeing others as my siblings. Because as much as we have received, we give. And I was realizing a very harsh reality in my life that I was not giving very much. And a big part of that was that I had failed to see others as my siblings. Again, I was thinking that God was just too small. I, I was like, well, he could be my father. There's this idea about the scarcity, that there's only enough love to go around. In any of you that grew up with siblings, you, you, you realize like, there's a little bit of impartiality in your family probably. In my family, there was a whole lot of it, and it caused a lot of problems. And even if it wasn't in your family, read about it in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all over the place, and it causes so many problems. But that's not the God that we serve and know or want to know and want to serve. That God has enough love for each one of us and every one of us all at the same time. And it is so amazing that he could love us individually and yet, you know, all equally. I don't comprehend it. Um, but here it is in, in 1 through 6 in Matthew 18, kind of going back to that passage. They just, they totally lost sight of what Jesus was talking about there, what that relationship really looked like. Because he said here, picking up in verse 4, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. And this is crazy. This is where I fell. Whoever causes one of these little children who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Let's just keep even going. They're talking about um, being an obstacle to your brother, being a stumbling block to your brother here, causing them to sin against God because you have misrepresented God to them. And I've done that, sadly enough, by not accepting others into that fold, not seeing myself as their brother or their sister. And remember in Luke 11, whose father? Our father. <laughs> Jesus knew what he was saying when he was saying that. There is so much wrapped up in those two small little words. Our Father. It's amazing. He, he knew that that would be an issue. He knew. 
And so how do we get back to what a right relationship looks like? How do we get right again? If we've seen what a right relationship looks like with the father-son dynamic and healthy brother-sister, you know, all working together, we have this idea in our mind, how do we get back to that or get to it in the first place if we've never had it? How do we reconcile? C.S. Lewis also said um, in his Four Loves book, to love it all is to be vulnerable. And remember, Jesus is the epitome of vulnerability. I mean, you could not be more vulnerable. And he's our example. Vulnerability is dangerous. But if we want to be like Christ, it's crucial and essential. And so he goes on to say, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal, Paul. (laughs) Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries and even ministries. I added that little part in there. Sorry. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will be unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And so that's what the conversation in John 21 kind of looks like between Peter and Jesus. This is a reconciliation. This is where God is bringing, Jesus is bringing Peter back into that fold, into that family relationship. He is restoring him to his brothers because of his actions. He has alienated himself from that fellowship to a great degree. So please turn with me there. And the practical application for this is just so simple. You know, if if there's a right relationship that we can have with God and there are definite ways we can look at that destroy that, then there's, there should be some definite ways that we can go about fixing that, right, with God's help. And I think it's all about connection. Just connect, connect, connect. And so in John 21, um, verse 15, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than the others? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And we're not going to get into the the love words here because that's a whole other message in itself. It's a powerful message. But he says, feed my lambs. And what Jesus is doing here is very intentional and profound. He is reinstating Peter into that fellowship and, and showing to all the other disciples who are looking on and hearing this conversation that Peter can still be in that ministry, that Jesus has forgiven him. And he does this three times because of the three denials that Peter made. He reinstates him three times, and that's not accidental. He said said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, verse 17, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. So feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, right? This is very intimate language here. This is is requiring human interaction. So basically, what Jesus is telling Peter 
is that if you love me and you want to continue to follow me, start going and serving other people. Go and connect with them, minister to them, meet their needs, speak life into them, do for them what they're not quite yet able to do for themselves or what they have a hard time doing for themselves. And 1 John 3.15, I mean, it could not be more explicit. Um, He who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And look on the other page in in my Bible, chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So in a sense, you could even rephrase that and say, if you want to be a son to God, be a brother to your brothers and sisters. If you want God to be your father, be a brother. Does that make sense? I hope I'm not reaching here. I hope you don't feel like I'm reaching. Because that's what it says to me. If If I really want to identify as God's son, I need to be a brother. And the beautiful thing is that that will motivate other people to want to do the same thing. I actually, a couple of years ago, had the privilege of baptizing my middle brother um, because of conversations that we had had. He had seen me and was like, man, you're changed. You're not the same person. And we, we did the dunk in a river in Tennessee in the middle of November. It was actually snowing, and it was just crazy. But it was amazing and beautiful. And I, I, it just, I did not ever think that my life would get to that point because we had literally tried to kill each other. But when Jesus got a hold of my heart, I just ministered to my brother. I didn't seek to convert him. I seeked to be a blessing to him. I sought to be the brother to him that I never had been. But I knew that I always could be. And it changed his life forever. And my mom said the same thing. She says, Joseph, you're just not the same person that you used to be. As my mom and I, I don't even know when the last time we prayed probably when I was 10 or 11 or even less than that was probably the last time we prayed until last year. And I was visiting her, and I wasn't going to do it because I didn't want to make her feel awkward or anything, you know, but she actually sat down, grabbed my hand, and said, pray for us. I was just, oh, man. It even still gets me choked up, and she's asking for me to send her messages and to pray for her. And, man, so sometimes being a good son to God is being a good son to our parents on earth. I think that's why that, that, that's the first commandment that comes with a promise, right? Honor thy father and thy mother. Uh, so closing here, the connection with people is so crucial. It, the connection with God, it's a, you got to listen and you got to spend time with people. Psalms 119 uh, says, how may a young man keep his way pure? I have treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against you, right? So we want to listen to God. We want to listen to what God has to say about who we are and who we are to other people, and we want to internalize that. We want to, we want to retain that within ourselves. We want that to be embedded in our mind. That We want that to be the seal and sign. That We want that to be our identity, right? That should be what's embedded on our frontlets, that we are children of God. He has laid claim to us. And then in... Um, James one twenty seven. It could not be much simpler. Um, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, and I don't think it's in 
unintentional that he incorporates father in there, right? So pure and undefiled religion uh, before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And you think about this, and a lot of times we just associate this, and we make this too literal. We make this too much about literal orphans and literal widows. And by doing so, we excuse ourselves from ministering to people. I'm saying that, what I'm not saying is that that is unimportant, because that is really important. People who are literally widowed, you know, widows, widowers, and people who are orphans need to be poured into. They need love in a very real way. Because that pain is tremendous, and it is great. But then there are people who are spiritual widows and spiritual orphans. God is wanting to to marry us. He's wanting to do this individually and corporately. He wants to be espoused to us. And there are some of us who were at one point married to Christ and at another point decided to become divorced. And there are other people who have never seen God as a father and in doing so have made themselves orphans from the very beginning. And God's just asking us to draw near to them. Just visit them. Just spend time with people. And you will be doing so much more than those people in Matthew 7, 21. Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all this stuff? Well, yeah, sure you did, but I didn't know you. You didn't lay yourself bare. You weren't weren't willing to be vulnerable and put yourself in the hot seat by ministering to those in need around you. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus doesn't condemn us for that. He just encourages us to do better next time, right? (laughs) Go and sin no more. I'm not throwing stones at you. We're all living in glass houses, so none of us should really be throwing stones at anybody. (laughs) But he's just encouraging us to do better, to accept that sonship or daughtership, to look at him as our father and to see others as our brothers and sisters. And this is what I'm going to close with right here. This is the freedom and privilege that we have to choose. It's found in John chapter 1, verse 12. Some of you probably know this verse by heart, and I'm glad that you do, but I don't. So I'm going to read it. And it says, But as many as he has received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Amen. Amen. To those who believe in his name. And what's so amazing right there is that verse where it says the right to become children of God is sometimes the power. The word is exousia. Exousasia, something like that. I can't remember. I'm bad with the Greek, but I love looking it up and looking at the deeper meaning of these words. But that word means that we have the privilege, the freedom, the power to make a choice to do this. And that's what's so beautiful. Is so many times our parents didn't give us the choice. They said, do as I say, not as I do. Just follow me, listen to me. But that's never what God is doing or saying. He's just inviting us in. He's knocking. He just wants to be let in. We we sang about that earlier. So beautiful. So I just encourage you, all of you, each one of you, think think in a really practical way. What is a step that you could take to being a better son or daughter to God? What is something that you could do to be a better brother or sister to those around you? And if you're not sure, ask. It's it's kind of humbling, but 
I ask my dad that sometimes. Dad, what can I just do to be a better son? Or I'll ask my brothers, what can I do to be a better brother? My wife, what can I do to be a better husband? Tell me, because I'm kind of thick-headed and I don't always get it. (laughs) So I just encourage all of you, as we consider Father's Day this weekend, and Mother's Day was not that long ago, uh, just consider that idea. And hopefully consider it in a, in a deeper and more profound way than you ever have. Or if, or if you're good in that area, consider a way to share that with someone. Um, and if you're already sharing, ask God to lead you to another person to share it with. So th- thank you so much. Um, and I, yeah, let me close in prayer again. Father in heaven. It is such a great privilege to identify as your, as your child, um, individually and as your children corporately. That imagery is just beautiful. Um, and I thank you so much that you have given us the freedom and power and privilege to choose that relationship, Lord. Continue to knock on the door of our hearts. Continue to draw us closer to you, Lord, and encourage us and inspire us in new ways to share this with others. Help us to not just be hearers, but doers of your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.